0: Welcome to The Readings Podcast, a celebration of books. I'm Nico Callaghan. In today's episode, a conversation with Carolyn DeCosta, author of The Clone Kid. In this fictional but frank account of Sydney's medical profession, DeCosta explores the possibilities, risks and implications of human reproductive cloning, with the reminder that though the techniques may currently be banned, the technology to develop human cloning is already right here. Here's the host of the discussion, Readings Programming Manager, Christine Gordon.
1: Hello, everybody. My name is Christine Gordon, and I am delighted to welcome the wonderful Carolyn DeCosta to the Readings podcast to talk about her book, The Clone Kid. Before we start, let me just tell you a little about Carolyn. Carolyn. She's a Cairns-based doctor and a professor at James Cook University. She's published numerous healthcare books for women and several works on medical topics for non-medical readers. And that's important when we start thinking about this novel that she has written, The Clone Kid, which is a carry-on, if you like, a partnership with her first novel, The Clone
2: Baby. Carolyn, welcome to the Readings Podcast. Thank you very much, Chris, and thank you for inviting me to talk about this book and about my thoughts on cloning, which are from the point of view of a practising obstetrician, not from a geneticist.
1: Before we talk about that, I mean, your book is enticing for many reasons, and I know that in the past you've also written Crime. In some ways, is this series of an accumulation of both your medical practice sort of knowledge and your fascination with crime books?
2: Well, yes, the crime books do have medical characters. Obviously, I've been a doctor for 45 years. That's familiar, I know, and I feel familiar with, and I have never actually put people I know in as fictional characters, but they have certainly contributed to what I write and what I write about, and The Clone Kid is set in a fictional Sydney of the first two decades of this century, and there are fictional doctors, but I've tried to make it as real as possible for the reader to get the message across that, look, cloning is not that far away from the technology that is currently available for treating couples with infertility and possibly producing children who don't have rare genetic abnormalities which may be present in in a family. This is highly theoretical, I, I certainly emphasise at this stage.
1: If I was in an elevator with you and you had two to three minutes to sort of pitch this idea of the clone baby followed by the clone kid, what would you say? What would would be your statements around this series?
2: Yes, well, clone baby I wrote fairly soon after I heard about Dolly the sheep. Uh, Dolly the sheep was the first mammal cloned from another sheep. And uh, I was very struck by this. This is at the end of the 1990s and the beginning of this century, that if this could be applied to humans, it had a lot of implications, but it certainly had the potential to help with problems of infertility. What I was wondering about is what the cloned person would feel like, what the clone would feel like, what the people around them, their families, their friends would feel like as they grew up. What would be the implications if there were lots of cloned people? Uh, And those were the things that I wanted to explore, but I had to do it prospectively. And I I did this nearly 20 years ago, and it was a very slim volume that was not widely read at the time. And then I thought quite a lot about the whole problem and the whole matter as I went on practising obstetrics and gynaecology because we've had introduced in that time a whole lot of new tests of the fetus during the pregnancy and we know a lot more about the fetus than we did at the time I wrote the clone baby book and that's giving us more and more information about the fetus and most of it is straightforward medical. But there are some aspects to the testing we have uh, which are a little bit more frivolous and driven by consumer demand. For example, there's now quite a growing industry for people to go and look using ultrasound in premises which are not medical, to watch their baby in utero. And that is here to stay. increasingly different medical conditions are being found out through this. And it also has the potential to provide genetic information like the colour of eyes, the colour of skin, what this foetus might look like when the embryo is just the size of a grain of rice.
1: It just is so extraordinary, Callan. It just blows my mind. And I imagine that over the last 45 years of you being in the medical profession, you've seen extraordinary changes. But this concept of cloning is not a new one. I mean, we saw it in so many of the early literature of the 1900s. When you think about Frankenstein or Jekyll and Hyde, that whole idea that you can create something That is yours and always in those early sort of novels these creations have come from a place of longing of loneliness is that something that defined the way that you're going to be writing about this
2: particular novel about the clone kid i think i wanted to make the point that this is different because we already do have labs which are quite legitimately performing research in therapeutic cloning, which is the growth of cells from embryos into stem cells, which may develop into tissues which can be used to replace that. For example, in people with living with diabetes, they have a deficiency of cells in their pancreas producing insulin. So there is work going on to develop that kind of tissue from therapeutic cloning. But the same principles could be applied to producing a whole human being uh, and we also have now have ivf i have seen ivf uh, in the time that i've been an obstetrician gynecologist grow from an impossible dream we didn't think it would happen and now it's a billion dollar industry that results in the birth of 3 to 4% of australian babies each year so when i'm not talking about the kind of star wars cloning large numbers of fully developed uh, adults arm to the teeth, appearing from another galaxy. Uh, I'm talking (laughs) about what is happening right now in laboratories around the world uh, that may develop into the possibility of actually cloning humans. And should we be thinking about this before it becomes a reality?
1: So I'm interested in this sort of concept, Carolyn, that you have created this series, The Clone Baby and The Clone Kid, Out of perhaps not the influences of earlier literature, but actually of sort of factual evidence of what you're seeing in your work practice and the sort of the journey that the medical profession has been taking over the last 40 years. If you were speaking to someone that was in primary school and knew nothing about the medical profession at all or about the laboratories, can you tell me a little bit about the actual techniques? of cloning a human. You've seen it happen in a sense with IVF, but can you take us very briefly on a sort of
2: a little lesson on the actual techniques? Yes, so to produce a clone, yes, you would take a cell uh, from a a human that you wish to clone uh, and remove the nucleus from that cell. That that cell uh, has all its DNA for every single bit of it, coded in the nucleus. So you remove the nucleus and you also find yourself a fertilised egg, which can be done from an IVF laboratory, and remove the nucleus from that egg and you put the nucleus from the human you wish to clone into the fertilised egg. Uh, That is the step that has to take place in the laboratory. Uh, You then place that fertilised egg into a woman, into the uterus of a woman in the same way that is done all the time in IVF clinics, and it settles into the uterus the way it does with normal conception and it grows in the uterus, and so gradually it turns from one cell into two, into four, into eight, and then into millions and millions of cells, develops into a baby, and the baby is born uh, in the normal way, and then the baby grows up into be. A person who physically resembles the person who has been cloned. It sounds simple. It is much more complicated than that, obviously, in terms of the techniques. Uh, But that is the principle. You remove the DNA from one cell of an adult, uh, causing them no damage whatsoever. And you put that nucleus into a fertilized egg cell, and um, it then proceeds to grow. What the directions are from the DNA from the nucleus in the new cell, and it turns into a uh, a fetus and then an infant.
1: In the clone kid, you talk about what it must be like for that family to have created a clone, a, a child out of out of the DNA, and to what it must be like for that child. Is there any research, in the same way that there's research into cloning, is there research into the sort of the emotional and political impact that something so enormous as cloning could be or create?
2: Uh, Well, no, not really yet because we're not really thinking hard enough about which directions research is taking. Studies of what people who were conceived by RVF have all followed uh, the, the event, asking them how they feel, uh, what how the parents feel, how society feels. This has now been widely studied and mostly they are fine. Mm. They are happy with the fact that they are people here. They've been brought up in reasonable conditions, reasonable homes, parents who wanted them, uh, being cared for, being educated and so on, and are no different largely from the rest of the population. Not everybody uh, has felt exactly that way. Some people have had uh, quite a lot of things to say about the process by which they were um, created and brought into the world, Uh, but it was done retrospectively. I think we should use the knowledge we have of those things to just have a bit of discussion around the, the concept of cloning and how a clone may feel about being cloned, um, particularly if they are going to be in some contact with the person they were cloned from.
1: Of course, of course. That's So I, that's what I'm sort of interested about because in some ways your book, your novel, The Clone Kid, is almost a test case in a way of um that type of reaction, like that type of consideration. How will the family, how will the people around, how will the child itself feel if they've come from this place of creation as opposed to, you know, sort of a larger percentage of the population? Did you enjoy writing about that? Was this, what was sort of the, the aim, in a way, of you writing this novel and what did you enjoy the most about the writing process?
2: Well, I enjoyed writing about it because I enjoyed my characters, which I do when I write crime fiction too, and I have a gynaecologist who. Is the main protagonist uh, in a way, although the clone kid himself is also an important uh, character. And I felt I knew the gynaecologist. I didn't entirely approve of him. Uh, I uh, reckon you've met a few of
1: those sort of characters in your time.
2: uh, Well, yes, but he's not based on any particular person, Chris. (laughs) (laughs) He's very kind. (laughs) Uh, But he is, um, I suppose narcissistic, ambitious enough to set about trying to clone. He is a doctor in Sydney. Uh, when we first meet him, it's in the 1990s. He succeeds with what he, uh, because this is fiction, I can make him succeed. Uh, he succeeds in cloning uh, his own son, who has sadly died, and this has been the motivation for it. Uh, and this is one of the uh, situations where i felt that we would be thinking uh, would people be wanting to clone someone who they loved, who had died? Uh, and how much would that be with the idea of replacing that person, which I thought was probably something that could happen and should be explored before then? How would the clone himself feel? Uh, and that is a large part of my story. How would uh, his family, his mother, grandparents, and indeed his father feel about this. And that that is the clone kid's story.
1: What is interesting about this story is that the clone itself is not an identical twin. This person has their own emotions, has their own directions of thought, and there's some tragedy within that in your novel to be honest. Back to the sort of cloning, how far away do you think that we are as a sort of modern science moves in the direction of finding the origins of of different diseases
2: and the IVF sort of program? How far away is this? So cloning is illegal in Australia now, under legislation passed by the Federal Parliament in 2002. But there is therapeutic cloning going on, and that is being more and more developed. And that is the bit that is hardest at the moment. The bit where you place the embryo into the woman, we are well Familiar with because that's done with IVF. But it seems to me that increasing the knowledge around therapeutic cloning, that this is transparent and legitimate research being conducted in Australia and in other places, as that information becomes more and more available, and it is available because it is shared with the scientific community, it does mean that in other places where perhaps cloning is less well regulated, that information can be used, should there be people who wish to do that. And we know that there have been instances in places like China, in some of the states of the U.S., where attempts have been made to do this, and I think it, you know, it, it could tip over into a genuine attempt at human cloning in other places. You also pointed out that uh, the clone does not necessarily look exactly like the person cloned from because it depends on environment too, because the cloned person in my book Uh, the mother has a complicated pregnancy and so he is born much earlier than his the person he was cloned from and uh, he also grows up in a different environment uh, with different people looking after him and so environment has a very important role in how people think and act and who they are they're not an exact copy of the person they're cloned from
1: Carolyn, when you wrote this book, did you write it because you wanted to explore the notion of cloning or did you write it as sort of a lesson for all of us to start considering, to start the conversation? What what was your main
2: driver? I I think it was this feeling, um, I wrote it as a question. Mm. Are we really heading in this direction and is this what we want to do? And I also wrote it in a... I, I wrote it to be fairly lighthearted. I think, Chris, it's it's not a serious work. I don't want your readers to feel that they're going to have to take a crash course in genetics to understand <laughs> this. Um, I wanted to do it from the personal point of view, and I also wanted to portray, to a certain extent, the Sydney medical profession, which is something I was familiar with because I worked there for many years.
1: Carolyn, when you think about people out there reading your book, because it is. I guess what I'm trying to say is your book is the type of book that starts dinner party discussions, you know, because there, this is what I'm imagining, that you're sitting there on a Saturday night surrounded by your friends and family and you say, I've just read this book and it's about cloning and it's about the ego perhaps of some of the medical professions out there and how they believe so fully that they can create human life and take human life away or fix human life. You're you're sort of playing on that God complex that so many of us have experienced when we're dealing with the medical practitioners. But in a way, this is a book that's about ethics, surely. It's about how much money, how much energy, do we spend on doing something like this? Would you agree with that as a statement?
2: Yes, totally, and that is one of the motivators for my character, who's called uh, Malcolm, Dr Gledhill, the possibility of worldly success if he succeeds in producing the first human clone. That is a very strong motivating factor in his decision to uh, attempt cloning.
1: And you were sort of playing in a way when you were writing this character of Malcolm Shirley with different practitioners that you've met over the time that have feel so that are so comfortable with their the role that they're playing in, in uh, enhancing humanity. But yet your work has been about women your whole life. You have studied the female forms and how females give birth and or don't give birth. That's been your total sort of life's work. I just like that kind of contrast between the work that I know that you have done and been celebrated for and we're all as so grateful to the work that you've done, Carolyn, to this sort of this other type of medical practitioner that has been driven by the need for admiration or the need for immediate success. If we go back to this dinner party, and there we are, and we're talking about your book, and and we're talking about the medical practitioners, that's one side of this story. Is is our, all of our experiences of being in the medical field, but then there's the other side, and this is the one I know that's been the greater driver for you. In that sense, is is this what we need to be spending? Um, Our research money on is this a practical use of funds that we would consider cloning humans and as you say it's illegal here in Australia but that sort of research that is beginning all over the world is it something that you approve of?
2: Uh, No I think there are much more pressing needs uh, medical needs uh, for the people who are already on the planet Uh, as you've identified, Chris, uh, that money should be spent on. Um, And at the moment, the research which is being done here is absolutely uh, legitimate and transparent, trying to develop stem cells which can then turn into tissue and organs for people who have conditions where these have been damaged or lost with trauma, and I think that that is quite legitimate. But I am concerned at the increasing use of technology to look at the fetus and find out things about the fetus, some of which such as ultrasound, looking just at meeting the fetus rather than uh, for medical purposes, knowing the sex of the fetus when there's no medical reason for that, and the possibility of more non-medical and trivial information about the appearance of the fetus um, may become commonplace. And uh, is that where we want to go? Too. That is the question I'm asking.
1: It is, and that's where the dinner party gets a little rowdy. I think Carolyn gets a little <laughs> rowdy. <laughs> yes.
2: yes. Well, it would be good if people were talking about it more.
1: Yeah, and um, that's pretty much the aim, in a way, is that you are posing these questions to us as a society and saying, you know, it's in your hands. Where does this sort of direction go? The Clone Kid is a startling book for all of those that want those sort of discussions in their dinner parties, it's the type of book that you read and you read it to discuss further, to consider your own position. It's as if a line has been drawn on the sand. At one end we have no medical intervention and at the other end we have bubbling baby at the other end that's been cloned. Where do you stand on that line? This is what the novel is asking us. And it's written by someone who has immense experience within the medical field, someone who has been supporting women from the beginning of time, who is uh, absolutely someone that we need to be grateful to uh, for the work that she has done in the medical field, but actually also in those dinner parties discussions. Carolyn DeCosta, what a joy it is to talk with you today. Have you got some final messages that you would like to send out to our readers about this intriguing and at times disturbing novel? Did you want to mention the fun that you had in the writing process or simply do you want to leave
2: us with a question? Well, Chris, I'd certainly like to say that I would like my readers to be amused as they read it through. I have, I hope, made it possible for it to be fairly page-turning as they uh, make their way to the end. It's not terribly long, uh, and if they are looking for something more serious, I have appended an essay uh, just explaining where we actually are with cloning and with antenatal testing uh, at the end. To you?
1: Carolyn Costa, thank you so much for joining us on The Readings Podcast. It is always a treat to hear from you, to listen to you and to be actually in awe of all that you have contributed to us here in Australia. Thank you for your time.
2: Thank you very much, Chris, for your kind words and for uh, talking to me.
0: You can stream previous episodes of The Readings Podcast at our website. We will also find all kinds of other recommendations for great books, music, film, and TV. You can also sign up to eNews or to receive our free monthly newsletter, The Readings Button. The Readings podcast is produced by me, Nico Carnegie. The show's music is by Tom Hoskins. All episodes of this show are recorded and produced on the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. I'd like to acknowledge traditional owners of this land and pay my earnest respects to elders past, present, and emerging. Thank you.